This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. You are about to graduate from architecture school, or maybe you already have a job and you're just simply looking for a change. Going through the interview process at an architecture firm is just part of a sequence of activities towards getting a new job. And there are some things that are worth knowing before you step into the room. I have been doing a lot of interviews lately and I have things I want to talk about. Welcome to episode 123, Interviews Just Aren't That Hard. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to be talking about job interviews. You know, maybe I should clarify that the interviews are employee or employment interviews, not you interviewing to get a job, like project. To get a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not interviewing for a new office building or house. It's not procurement. Yeah, it's getting a job. Yes. Getting a career. Yeah. This is a timely topic because I am up to my eyeballs in interviews right now, and it's eating up a huge chunk of my time. And I guess this is post-career fair follow-up interviews and stuff, mostly. Yeah, it is. So obviously, this is like peak interview time is upon us. Yeah. And so between now and about the next... I don't know, six to eight weeks. It is the worst it ever is, is right now. Yeah. Because we did, I'm trying to think, I could do the math, but it doesn't really matter. We went to probably a half dozen career fairs this year. Mm -hmm. And so you do interviews on site. You know, like the way some of these programs work is they'll say it's a free for all from 10 in the morning till two in the afternoon, but then from two to five, you are supposed to prearrange to do interviews from potential candidates. On site. Little 30-minute sessions for everybody or 15 minutes. That's right. So for the last couple of years, I've been to almost all of them. All the ones that Boca Pals and company went to. I went to a good chunk of them two years ago. A year ago, we had the genius idea that we would try to get one person to try to go to all of them. So we had some kind of consistent thread mm-hmm. to be able to evaluate who should we be talking to. Sure. Because we have some people, just being honest, and if I doubt they're listening to the podcast because they can hear whatever I think all the time anyway, so they're not looking to get a little extra bob <laughs> on their drive-in. Yeah. So I'm not worried about anybody getting a twist over this, but we have some people that, let's be honest, everybody they meet, they go, I, this person's great. They're the best person ever. They yeah. love everybody. Yeah. yeah. And we actually, this sounds mean. I, I'm starting to think I just sound like a jerk all the time. Like there's evidence on air how much of a jerk I am. But we have a talent retention group that started off with four people, and I was one of the four. Mm-hmm. And somehow, whenever we start the meeting, they all look at me and they go, okay, what are we doing? Like, somehow, I'm the talent retention expert. And I go, all right, I got opinions. I got thoughts. So I'll just start it off. Mm-hmm. It's grown to nine people now. Oh, wow. I don't need that many people. That's a big group. Yeah. And when I say, I don't need that many people, the group doesn't need that many people. It's not, I don't think this is a Bob thing. You know, if I step back. They don't need eight people. Like, there's too many chefs salt in the soup in this process. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Hired by committee, that's a lot for a committee. It's, it's too many, in my opinion. But it's very democratic. Everybody gets a say. Everybody has an opinion. And because we have so many different offices, part of what's inflated that number is like, we go, well, we need somebody from Austin sitting on these uh, calls because they need to understand their culture in a way that to be able to determine what works best for them. Gotcha. That's true for Fort Worth. So that's part of the reason the number's been inflated. But I went to almost every single one of them last year and I got done. I was like, I'm never doing that again. Cause I mean, you've been around me. It's hard to be on for six hours a day with people showing you stuff. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. They all happen like in the same two week window. Yeah. A lot of them. It felt like that's all I did for two weeks. Two weeks straight. Yeah. And I was done with it. And I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. So we have some young people in our office that we trust. We think very highly of them. And so the premise this year was we said, let's send them to the career fairs. Not because it's punishment. They, none of them see it as punishment. I don't see it as punishment. Yeah, they probably enjoy it. Yeah. They love it. And it's nice for the students to go, I talked to somebody who's relatively close to my own age. Mm-hmm. And so it's not hard for them to project themselves into, I could be her in three years, where I'm an advocate for the firm out in the wild as we go do this. So the number of people I've talked to has cut drastically in terms of those career fairs. Yeah. I find just my experience with, because I've been 
helping oversee the career fair for the past couple of years that larger firms tend to take that attitude mm-hmm. where they're sending younger folks to these things for that sort of reason. But the smaller the firm gets, the less likely that is to happen. That makes sense, right? Just from my experience. And sometimes it's like an old person, not an old, but an elderly <laughs> person and a younger person. Yeah. There's someone with more experience and then there's someone with younger experience. Or sometimes even larger firms, there'll be one senior level or upper level person and then sure two or three younger people. But there's a couple of more. Yeah. I, this year, one of the large, large companies there in Dallas, it was all people that have five years or less out of school where they're doing the recruiting. Yeah, so. which it makes sense. And, but the other thing that we did, and I don't know if everyone else does this, if they did, I'm not, pay, I don't pay attention to what other people do. I, yeah. I go, this is what makes sense to me. Well, you don't have time either if you're that thing. You're just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, this makes sense. So we empowered them to make job offers for all intern positions. So we sent the same, for the most part, the same two young folks oh. went out and did a bunch of these. And we're like, you know what? This is how many bodies we need from an intern standpoint. If you see somebody you like, you can extend a job offer to them. For full-time hires, you have the responsibility for making those selections and setting up follow-up interviews with somebody a bit more senior. That was the gotcha. idea. Yeah. So still kind of get to choose, but... One layer of that is added if it's going to be somebody that's a full-time new hire. That's right. Because they're still so young that... A three-month or a six-month mistake isn't that big of a deal. It's not that big a deal. I'm not worried about them making that mistake. I'm just joking, but you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But what we look at is they may not be able to evaluate upside talent. Like there's a... You might look at this person and go, they would be amazing today. Mm -hmm. But their window or their ceiling to me is not as high as this other person who did not show as well today, but because of the way they carry themselves, the words they use, the way they articulate things, the way that they question. Yeah. You can tell a little higher level of critical thinking through engaging with someone rather than looking at their portfolio. Sure. Right. So I also went back and I counted. This is amazing. So just in the Dallas office alone, we've had 27 scheduled interviews in the office. That's a lot. That's a lot in my world. Yeah. And to put it even deeper, I had six last week. I had three today. Mm. I mean, that's so many. And we get out and um, we'll go, well, what do you think? And of course, they're all like, this person's amazing. Because the three we did today actually came recommended from somebody. So they personally vouched for. Mm. And you know what? All three of them were great. They were all great, but they were, yeah. they were pretty different from one another. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't hard to go, well, that person's number one, they're number two, they're number three. And then you go back and go, what's our body count? How many people can we afford to bring in? Afford's not the right way. Like, how many do we actually need well, yeah. to, to bring in right now? So since I've done so many of these, it was probably last week. It was probably some weird time of the day or night. I text Andrew and I go, we need to do a podcast on interviews. And his response was probably like, why are you texting me at two in the morning? <laughs> Which that's not true because you wouldn't have responded at two in the morning. But yeah, I would have. You wouldn't have been awake. I would have been awake. I did it at some weird time though, for sure. Some random time on Saturday, Friday, oh, something, yeah. I think. I don't remember. Sometime where I shouldn't have been working, but well, I was. Yeah. And I was like, we should do this. And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, that's fine. Sure, whatever. So I wanted to do this. Because the people that are coming in, the disparity between the good interviews and the bad interviews rarely comes down to portfolio, their ability to do work. Mm -hmm. And if I look at it and I go, today, I saw three perfectly capable individuals today. But what if I only get to hire one? How do I make the distinction? How do they, if they knew some of the stuff that's gone through my head, Maybe the interview would have gone different. Maybe they would have prioritized things differently. And I'm not saying that the way I do it's the end-all be-all, but I feel like I got a pretty good track record. Like most of the people that I bring in, they're still around. Uh And so part of the reason why I do so many interviews, you know, I didn't finish the story I told you I started a little bit ago. And it had to do with during our talent retention meeting, which is why I brought it up in the first place. And this is when I thought maybe I was a jerk. I asked HR, I go, do you guys keep track of the hit and miss ratio from the people that actually do the interviewing? 
Like, what if I send two crypt keepers in to do the interview and people come in and they're excited about coming to work for the company and then they see those two people and they're like, well, I don't want to work here. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're great architects, but they're not, they don't represent what the reality of working in the company is. So some people are probably better at that interview process than others. Okay. I feel like that's something they should be keeping track of. Why? Don't you? No. Why? Because if somebody's no good at it, why do I want to keep sending them in the room? <laughs> but how are you going to know if they're good at it? How do you make the reflection of who they hire or not hire? Or Well, just from that person accepting the offer. So if they come out and they go, I think that person's great. Let's extend them an offer. We're not losing people because of the money. I, that I know. Yeah. No, but I mean. So if, if we extend an offer and somebody goes, pass. Oh, okay. You're saying if they, right? if they decline offers. Yeah. Not success rate of like. The people that they hire are good. No, no, no. The success rate of offers are, are accepted. I gotcha. That's right. I want people to come out of an interview that I go through. If it goes well for me, I want them to think it went well for them. Yeah. And so if we make an offer, I want them to be enthusiastic about saying yes. Yeah. So there's like a salesmanship angle you're taking on that that you want to have somehow documented, it seems like. Yeah. Who's good at sales pitches and who's not. But I don't know. I don't think you can judge that. That's a weird request to make because I don't know. It may be they got a better job going somewhere else or doing something different they wanted to do. And so you can't really say that. Yeah. But do you think that's all? If I extend 10 job offers and I have a win rate of (laughs) 10%. Yeah. So nine people that I go, I loved them. I thought they were great. And people are like, pass. If they didn't know who we are and what we do, why would they ever have taken the first interview? Other than they're like, well, I just want practice. I would never work there. I just want to practice, which probably happens. Let's be honest. That probably happens. I'm sure it does. No, it does. For sure. For sure. But most people, it's not like they're coming in. They're like, "Uh, and what do you do again? We're like, well, we do this type of projects. They're like, pass. Yeah. I don't think that's a problem. They're not interviewing with you. Yeah. I would assume there's a small percentage, 20% max that are coming in to interview that don't want to actually work there. They're just doing it to do it. Yeah. So if you have someone who's making offers and nobody ever accepts an offer from that person, that's got to tell you something. Yeah, that's possible, I guess. All that you want to do, though, right, is you <laughs> you want to be able to scoreboard people. But then what happens is then if your percentage is 90%, they just keep sending you these interviews and then you just complain about having to do so many interviews. Well, that's me. <laughs> but I'm not saying that I'm the best at it. I'm, at least I'm not trying to. Uh, but I'm wondering. I go, man. I think it definitely could, though. I know back years ago, when I was being the interviewee right when I got out of school and I was trying to look for jobs. And I can remember a couple of times where the people I talked to in the beginning and talked to them on the phone, they were great. And then I showed up for the actual interview. And yeah, that person was a giant dud. Oh, and it was like, mm-hmm. mm, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> right. I don't know that I want to do that. So, I mean, I think there is something to that for sure. Well, so you personally have made fun of me and I've made fun of me to a certain extent about how many jobs I've actually had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I will tell you, with the exception of two, not really even two, really only one, I've only been on one job interview interview in my life where I did not get a job offer. Mm. And the person, I I think I've told the story, he he might not even remember this. So the guy is a principal FAIA at Lake Flato now, and he and I went and interviewed for the same job. He was like 10 years older than me, got his graduate degree, was already licensed, Mm. and I interviewed as a graduate from undergraduate architect school for the same job. Hmm. Why would you ever send those two people for the same job? For the same position, for sure. The only saving grace is, so he got that job. It's the only job interview I've ever gone on where I didn't get a job offer. At least that dude, his, this is, how long is this now? 31 years. Yeah, he's still there. He still has that job. Yeah. He's an FAIA. He runs their office. They're like, that was a solid hire on our part. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm like, that guy delivered. We didn't make a mistake. (laughs) Yeah. So that doesn't sting so bad. It worked out well for both of them. Yeah. They hired the right person because you would have chunked three or four jobs. I would have been gone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I would have been gone. So (laughs) So anyway, so I thought this would be a good topic because it's fresh on my mind. I'm doing a lot of it. I have opinions about it. And I thought this would probably be good for if you're looking to get a job, you should totally be listening to this. And if you're someone like me or Andrew and you're actually going through this process where you're looking to hire somebody, probably might ring a few bells for you or go make you think about something. Go, well, I don't want to do that. Or, ooh, that's not a bad idea. So it's a good topic, I think. Yeah. It's timely, hopefully. 
I also went back into the archive, the Life of an Architect archive, specifically to look for information on the interview process. And there's some information to be found, but it's pretty slim pickings. Yeah, it's like not much. I did a little, maybe a shallow dive, <laughs> not a deep dive, yeah. but shallow dive. I mean, yeah. there wasn't much there. You know, it's funny because I feel like we've talked about this before, but maybe we just haven't. In my brain, we have, or we've had these discussions not on air. Yeah. I think we've got like a paragraph or a little blurb of a conversation buckshot all over the place. Sure. But to say, all right, we're going to do one that's dedicated to this process. I think it's good use of our time. It's good use for people's time. Sure. All right. When we were coming up with the list of questions, what do we want to talk about? I already know what I want to say in some things, but how do we actually organize it in such a way that makes sense? The first question has got to be, how do you get an interview? Yeah, sure. I want to work someplace. I, well, how do I get an interview there? How do I do that? Yeah. That's a question we have probably talked about the most. Out of all the questions I wrote down, mm. most of these we haven't talked about at all, mm -hmm. any capacity. But how do you get an interview? We have talked about before. It normally is you go to like a career fair or you reach out to the company. And depending on the firm size, and if you came to a firm size like ours, you get routed through HR. Yeah. In my last office, like literally anybody who answered the phone could say, well, just send it in and address it to me or whatever. Yeah. It's not that hard. And bigger firms, depending on what level you're at, are almost always looking to hire somebody. Unless we're like in a massive recession. Yeah. We have a standing rule. If you fall within three plus years experience and seven plus years, 100% of the time, we're going to take a look at you. 100% mm -hmm. of the time. It doesn't matter if we don't think we need to hire anybody. We are always looking for that window of skill, yeah. that experience level, 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Small firms really has to do with, I can't afford to add another person. Like, we just, yeah, that's a big expense. Yeah. Or we don't have a seat. Like, we're maxed out on our seating. Like, that's something else that, yeah. that's not a, a fake thing. I've hired people without seats before and just made it work. <laughs> and I'm sure they love the experience of sitting by the, your desk is the top of this filing cabinet. <laughs> No, it wasn't that. It just, we had to shift stuff around. I hired them when I didn't have space, but by the time they showed up or within the first week, there was space made for them. Mm. Everybody else got a little bit tighter, you know, or like, yeah. oh, instead of two people sitting in space now, there's three. Everybody just scooch. Yes. Because we had to have it. We're all friends here. You're right. I mean, in a smaller firm, it's definitely, there's more factors at play, I think, as to whether or not they're hiring and whether or not you can get a job there. But they'll tell you. Yeah, most of the time they will. Like if somebody called my last office and said, hey, I want to send my resume, we're like, well, you can send it, but we're not hiring. Yeah. They will tell For you. For sure. Small firms will be like, meh, don't even bother. We're not hiring at all right now. Yeah. Or we may not be hiring for six months, but if you want to send it in, we'll take it. Keep it on file. Well, I've told people if they called me and they said, hey, I want to come work there. We're not hiring, but I know this group is. You should give them a call. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've done that. Yeah, me too. Me too. So getting an interview in, in the context of what it is now, you can just call most of them. You can reach out to HR. They'll let you know. There's job boards. There's postings. Your local. Yeah, it's like there's tons of job boards and stuff now. I mean. Millions of places where you can find this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, eh, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on it. Because if you're looking for something like, I want to go get an interview with that firm, well, then call them and just ask. Yeah. Hey, this is who I am. How much experience? I want a job there. Are you hiring? And they'll say yes or no. Yeah. It's easy. Mm -hmm. It's just not that hard. Yes. Right? And I would say don't, you can email, but don't expect that to work. It's still a make a phone call or show up and talk to somebody or something because emails just get lost. They get deleted. That's what happens. Yeah. Or they just end up in the wrong place. So I just think don't go that route. Pick up the phone. Yeah. And you know what? When you call, someone's going to answer it and you say, hey, I would really like to work at your firm. Is there someone specific I should talk to mm -hmm. to come in and show my portfolio or I can send something in or I can give you a link to my online portfolio? Who do I send that to? And they'll say, well, you send it to this person or we don't need it or like you'll get an answer. People will answer. Yes. Emails are not the way to go. Even though some bigger firms are like, do not contact yeah, us. Yeah, I know. Use the form on the website. But you know what? That's still the way to go because they're set up to function that way. Yeah. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on how do you get the interview. But the next most important question is, what should you bring to that interview? And part of that is, other than like proper attire and a good attitude, some examples of the work that you're capable of producing, these are all things that are reasonable to bring with you. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if you go, oh, and they should bring an example of fill in the blank. Like, what else do you think, just generically speaking? Somebody walks in, like, no. if they don't have it, what are you like? What are you doing? Are you new at this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's always some version of a portfolio, even if it's not the whole thing, but some sheets from it or something. Somebody could look at it and kind of get an idea. Because sometimes, I mean, if you have to leave it behind, then that's kind of, a, you know, nobody wants to do that. Have to pay for that over and over and over. But before you move on. We never, ever, no one ever leaves a portfolio yeah. behind. We don't keep them. Yeah. We're not going to keep them, honestly. And I will tell you that if you're, I don't care if you're brand new at this or like you're young enough to where you still use a portfolio. Because we've talked about portfolios before. They got a limited window of, of value to them. They got a lifespan. Yeah. It should be online somewhere or you should have a version of it that you can attach as a PDF. Because for example, every interview that I get scheduled on attached to the meeting invite is their resume and their portfolio. Mm -hmm. I bring my tablet into the meeting. I pull it up. I don't need you to hand me a booklet. Mm. I want to elaborate a little bit on the value of the portfolio in an interview. I think I'm a little different than most people. So I think your side of it will be important to put into that. Sure. But before we get into that, because I want to leave that for the end of this chunk of conversation. Well, I just was going to finish my statement. The other thing I actually still do like is a, a single paper copy of your resume, even if it's just one sheet. Oh, yeah. The resume? Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Don't show up without that. Even if it's online, you have it online, you've emailed it to me as a PDF, don't show up without that in your hand. Reasonable. Because there's a lot of things, I think, that happen with that. I mean, I'll make notes on it. I'll do things like that even when we're having a conversation. It's so that I can keep information tied to you specifically. It's there when I pick up John Smith, here's his thing. And I can say, oh, here's the notes I made about John Smith. It's always there, right? Like, I think you should have it. That's not unreasonable. I just print it out. That's what I do. I walk in with, with it. it. I've already read it, right? I'm not like yeah. introducing myself to you during the interview. Yeah. Like people are thrown off. I'll go, I want to ask about this. And they're like, how do you even know about it? I go, you did send us your resume in your portfolio. And I looked at it. Yeah. Already. This is jumping the shark a little bit. I don't want to spend my time with that person having them explain their portfolio. Mm. I don't need that. Yeah. So let's hit some high spots very, very quickly. Dress. Is that a big mover for you? Kind of. Like how they appear? Kind of. Okay, so elaborate. Only a sense of like, don't come in looking like a slob. <laughs> That's a low bar. I know. <laughs> you don't have to have a suit on or a nice formal dress or whatever. I mean, you don't have to come in looking like you're about to go stand trial or something. <laughs> That's not overly important to me. But you need to look like you take care of yourself, that you have some care about yourself. That's really what it means. It's not necessarily about what you're wearing, but how you're wearing it and how you're dressed and you look like you take good care of yourself in an aesthetic way. Sure. And everybody's got their own aesthetic. That's fine. That doesn't bother me. You could come in in jeans and Converse and it's still fine as long as you look like you take care of yourself and it's not Converse that have a bunch of holes in them and your jeans are all ripped up and all that kind of stuff. You look like you pay attention to those kind of things because to me that says something about your character. Sure. I probably wouldn't love it if somebody showed up in Converse for the record, but yeah. like nobody wears a tie. And you know what? I'm 100% okay with that because you know what? Almost nobody wears a tie in my office of 110 people. It's just not the vibe. Yeah. As a rule of thumb, it's safe to overdress. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to count it against you if you show up like that, for sure. That's not a negative Yeah. if you show up overdressed. It's definitely negative if you show up underdressed. Yeah. If you get the job and you realize that nobody shows up in a three-piece suit and a tie with an ascot. And Every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you can pivot. But if you show up, in a graphic tee or flip-flops or whatever. That's not... Oh, yeah, no. I'm just telling you, you got to think it through enough to just go, this is not something that I want to be evaluated on. So remove it from the mix. Mm -hmm. Like wear a button-down shirt if you're a guy. I don't know how to describe what women should wear. Pantsuits are fine. And is that even a word? I don't even know. Yeah. I'm just saying men are easier to evaluate because they can just put on a nice shirt, regular pants, regular shoes, button-down shirt, jacket if you want. You're fine. The one I did today, the woman was dressed very smartly. She had matching pants and a top on, and, and she looked nice. She looked very presentable. Most of them have. It hasn't been a big issue, quite honestly, with most of the people that we've talked to. Mm -hmm. Attitude kind of figures into it. Part of that comes from, I don't need you to be a firecracker when you come in. You're like, yeah, woo, yeah, I'm here. Wow, I don't need that. Yeah. That's not what I mean. You can be who you are. But the attitude has to do with things like, be prepared. Know who we are. Make eye contact when you're talking to people. Mm -hmm. Act like you want to be there. Because sometimes the decision to choose A over B, you're like, well, this person seems like they'd be more pleasant contribution to the office. 
than that person. Yeah. And that figures into it. You have to realize that part of what you're being interviewed in is your contribution to the culture of the firm, not just your ability to do a job. Yeah. And that's even more true in small offices. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's even true, though. To me, I would say that kind of thing is a deciding factor because there are plenty of people that can do the job. Sure. Everybody that you interviewed out of these 27 people can probably do the job. It's how you think they fit in your office that tips the scales one way or another, I think. And again, more true for a smaller office because, yeah, we're much more close-knit. But the other thing I hate when we're talking about attitude, though, and I shouldn't say hate, that's, not, that's a strong word, I don't really like is if you come in with a really big air of arrogance, you're the best thing since sliced bread. And not confidence, that's different. Arrogance about if you talk about everything or your work, about how great you are and in an overly <laughs> confident way, like an arrogant way. Not being sure of yourself, but really being arrogant like a jerk. I don't like that. That puts me off like instantly. That's interesting. When you're so big on yourself. This may not surprise you, but I told somebody in an interview I would be the best employee they ever had. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I got a job offer. Yeah. You know? It depends how you say that, though. There's a way you can say that and you seem eager and it's honest. And there's a way you can say that like, I'm so much better than everybody else. Yeah. There's a different air to it. Again, it's a fine line of being confident and sure of yourself versus being arrogant and just overbearing about you are just the greatest thing on earth. Yeah. I will tell you, I didn't lean back in the chair and put my feet up on the table and cross them as I said it. It was more in the context of, I want to be here. I will work hard. I'm going to work hard. Yeah. I am motivated to achieve something here and be a part of something. When I'm here, you will think I'm the best employee you've ever had. Yeah. That was the context. Like there was some, I'm going to earn this, not I expect it because yeah. I'm just who I am. I've already earned it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have yeah. that. I'm trying to think. I haven't had somebody come in and act like that. In a, mm. I don't know. I don't want to say ever. I just can't think of that happening. To me, it's rare, but it happens every once in a while. Okay. Portfolios. I have a whole section that's titled what happens during an interview. But before we get to that, talked about what you should bring. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned portfolios mm -hmm. and I definitely look at them differently enough to where I feel like I need to explain myself in the interview with the people I'm visiting with on my thoughts so that they're not offended or hurt or go, what was that? Because as schools have gotten bigger and the number of teachers have gotten smaller, the number of team projects has skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. sure. And so when I look at a portfolio, and I see that you're one of four people on a team and this project's in there, I don't actually know what you did. And if I say, well, what'd you do? I don't know them. I'm not saying that they're lying, but maybe it's hard to represent your abilities on team projects and portfolios. It's just hard. Mm -hmm. You know what? And they shouldn't be punished because that is a situation that they did not create. Yeah. And so what I tend to look at when I evaluate a portfolio is the things that I feel like they did have ownership of. So I don't look at the work as much as I look at what's the story, how they present it, how did they organize it, what projects did they select, how they graphically lay out the content on the page. We talked about portfolios before, and we'll put a link to, it's really one of the best articles on the site. Portfolios really are useful tools, but I don't think people, at least I don't evaluate them the way most people probably think. Like I'll go, why'd you choose that font? Or why is this green? Like you didn't theme it. Because, you know, the number of people that actually go back and rebuild their portfolios into a single thing, as opposed to a moment along a timeline of my, because that's another thing. You know, sometimes people only want to include the very best work they've done, which is fine. I get that. But there's also something to be said about, look, here's how I think. Here's a project from first year. And then I see one from second year, third year, and fourth year. And you can see an evolution. You can see a growth. You can see skill sets develop. And you can see a pattern of how they think. Because as you evaluate that work, they're still telling the story. And that's what I'm trying to pull out of their portfolio, not why'd you do this move or why'd you do that move? Why is there a circle at the end of this excess Monday you're putting in? Mm -hmm. I'm not as interested in those things as I am talking to them as a human being, finding out who they are. What are they interested in? That stuff is more valuable to me than the portfolio. Yeah, I, I rarely put any emphasis on portfolios. I would look at it if somebody brought it in, but if I interviewed somebody for an hour, which was a long time, or even 30 minutes, they might get five minutes looking at that. Yeah. For those same reasons, I'll peruse it to see if I can evaluate where your skills are. 
sort of what your skill level is. Yes. If it's cartoon drawings versus, you know, crazy renders or something, I'll have an idea. But that notion of, I'll look at it the same way I look at the way you're dressed in a way, is it put together well? Yeah. Like not what the content is, but is it put together well? Do things line up? Nothing drives me battier than a disorganized portfolio that, again, doesn't have a story and their fonts are different on every page and all these sorts of things. Those kinds of things are the stuff that I look at. Do I really care about what the project is? Probably not. I might flip through and go, oh, man, that's a really nice image that you made. Right. Whatever it is, what project it is, I don't really care. Because, again, I know the amount of influence that happens in academia. Yeah. It may not even be really your idea. Right, yeah. It could be somebody forced that idea on you and that stuff you're not interested in or whatever. And so it's really, I, I use the portfolio as a design evaluation tool. That's right. Not what's in it, but yes, the thing itself. Yes. Is it organized well? Is it put together? Have you tried to tell a story? Are you putting the best work in? Are things lined up? I mean, all kinds of looking at things critically and having these small details is really what I look for in that is like, how detail oriented are you? How much do you care about these tiny little things, fonts lining up and all that kind of stuff? Because that tells me about how much care you put into the things that you do. Sure, sure. Well, you know, we should elaborate on that for the people that are beyond portfolio age. Yeah. Right. Like, so if you're on your second or third job, someone three years out of school, I'm not really interested in what you did in school mm -hmm. unless you've not been able to do what you want to do because the economy was bad. I mean, there's always some kind of- Yeah, there's factors. Whenever I say X, I can come up with a Y, the Y that's not the correct thing to do. But for the most part- Sure. If you're more than three years out of school, I want to see what you've been doing. Mm -hmm. Bring in construction drawings that you've done. Bring in examples of what you're literally doing right now. And mm -hmm. they can be organized into a portfolio. And this is the secret. I mean, you don't have to build a portfolio of current work. Student work, you need a portfolio. Mm -hmm. I walked in, most interviews that I had once I was more than three years out of school, I walked in with an armful of drawings, rolls of sketch. Rolls of, yeah. It's like, and I exploded this stuff on the table because I'm like, you know what? I'm not putting together a 50 page PDF of sample CDs. Here's a sketch I did. I'm not doing that. And I'm sure there's a bit of a analog versus digital world that we live in now to why that's not as viable. But I'll tell you, if somebody did that to me today, I'd go, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Like I would want to look at someone's drawings. I would like to look at them when they pulled out a drawing set and I go, all right, well, explain something to me. But you can still I, do that today digitally, even if you wanted to. Of course you can. Have the sheets that you worked on or whatever it is. If you did renders for some project or you did some conceptual design early stuff and you've got images of that or yeah, there's all these details for this project I worked on, da-da-da, whatever. You can assemble that. Should be able to fairly easily. You should, but you really need to point out this is included because I did it. Yeah. This was my role. So like that drawing, it's there because I drew it. Mm -hmm. The solution, that was my solution. This design, I designed it. I did this graphic. Yeah. That's what that stuff needs to embody yeah. is, you know, what that is. So the portfolio and the role that it plays in the interview process varies pretty wildly between people coming out of school, people who have been out of school, like today. Here's a good example. The last three people I interviewed all had four plus two degrees. Mm -hmm. All of them worked for a few years in between the end of the four and the start of the two. Between the four and the two, yeah. Yep. And two of them worked at one point full time during their master's. Mm. So two of them, they're like, for the last year, I've worked full-time and getting my master's. Mm. It kind of made the evaluation of what they've been spending their time on a little bit differently. And they were more mature and, and how they carried themselves was, was a little bit differently. And what was interesting, if I just call them all as A, B, and C, and I'll just go A, it's the first person we talked to, B, and C, second and third. The design work of person A, it was the strongest by far. Their design work was really, really good. Person B had a fantastic, had good, good work to demonstrate their skills, really good personality, mm. like able to have a good conversation, lots of good eye contact, came in prepared, knew who we were, had questions to ask that made sense, really smart. But their design work was probably the worst of the three that we talked to. Mm. The third person that we talked to, their portfolio was on a scale of one to 10, it was like a six. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It just wasn't, it didn't wow me. Mm -hmm. But they came out of it in the number one position because 
their upside was so much higher than everybody else. I go three years down the road, this guy's going to be the best one out of all the people we talked to this person. They're going to be, they're stronger the way they think, the way they talk, the way they articulate what they do, where their passions are, what motivates them to get out of bed in the morning to do what it is that we do. Like what's the things that somebody would consider an employee, their ability to do a task as it's defined now through college education, college experience is wildly different than what it'll be when they get into the professional work environment and they're given like real responsibility. No one's coming behind you to do this if you don't get it done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so their thought process, like even the vocabulary that they use, it's another device I use because I kind of go, I can teach somebody how to do all the things that we do, but I can't teach somebody to be clever and smart. They either are or they're not as much. Mm -hmm. So that that's part of it. I agree. I think all that is true. And again, all those things you have to weigh for each individual person as you go through that process on the employer side. So as an interviewee, you just got to try to put all your best feet forward. Well, let me ask you this. So one of the questions I have down here that I think that anyone who's not in the hiring role in this conversation, but is on the getting a job side, how is the interview different for new candidates than it would be for people who have more experience? Like what's different? And, you know, we touched on a few items like evaluating a portfolio from someone coming out of school. It's hard to really determine what they've actually done. Mm -hmm. And I can be a little bit more specific and talk a little bit more shop and use a little bit more. This is what we do. And what was your job there? What was your role? And like, I can get into the actual job shop talk with someone who's got a little bit more experience. Experience. Sure. But do you have anything like in your experience of hiring people? And I don't know your track record of hiring new people versus hiring people that got some skin on the wall. Mm -hmm. But I have some thoughts on the main thing is how did they come to me? How did they get from where they're at to sitting across the table from me? That's a consideration for me. And I think I'm out of bounds. And this has always been a red flag to me. But there's one consideration that's important to me that removes the red flag. And it has to do with I'm in Dallas. It's a big city. I know or at least have heard of probably almost all the architecture firms that are in my mind that are really worth knowing. I don't have to know somebody at all. I just know they exist. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been here for 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's big. It ain't that big. Yeah. And I think about all the people that I look to that are older now and I respect them and I think they're good at what they do. If they wanted to go get a different job after they've been out for a number five, seven, 10 years, whatever it is, mm -hmm. they know people. They're not having to go through a recruiter to get a job in Dallas because they know other people in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Or they know, like when I got my job at Boca Pal, I didn't go through a recruiter. I called one of the owners of Boca Pal and said, hey, I want to have a conversation. And it turned into a job offer at some point. Sure. And I want to say, or my involvement in the AIA introduced me to people that were working at places. I went, that sounds cool what you're doing. I'd like to check that out. I didn't have to go through a recruiter. And I always think it's a bit of a red flag if you live in a big city and you have to use a recruiter to go find another job in the same city. Mm, I see what you're saying. But the one caveat that throws this out the window, especially now since the marketplace is pretty aggressive and pretty competitive right now, like where owners are all fighting over each other to get good employees. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are changing jobs, not because they are not happy, and they're not even looking. The recruiters are cold calling people and saying, I can get you more money. I can change your life. I can. Yeah. And they're planting seeds in these people ahead for the sole purpose of saying, yeah, okay. I mean, I'll listen to what you have to say. And those people come in through recruiting companies or recruiters. Again, not because they don't have the ability to go somewhere and get a job, but they weren't looking at all. And the recruiter came and enticed them to do this. Mm-hmm. Did you have any experience with that when your office was still up and running? No, no, no. No, I mean, nobody ever's coming trying to come work here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had recruiters call me and try to set stuff up a lot of times, but I take that back. I think I had one, once or twice actually, where a recruiter contacted me and I was looking for somebody. It wasn't anybody in particular, but I needed to hire someone. But it's funny that you mentioned it, the person that came through the recruiter. I mean, they were, they were terrible. <laughs> I never would have even thought about interviewing them or I even definitely didn't hire them, but I don't know. It, it's strange. 
to me how that works. I mean, because I think about that now, like me, if I decide I want to go work, I mean, I feel like I know enough people, but at the same time, a lot of the people that I know are either retiring out or whatever. It might behoove me to have a recruiter at some point, but at the same time, I feel like I know enough people around that I could probably go without having to do that unless I just wanted to move out of the state of Texas. But within Texas, I know enough people in different spots that I could probably maybe not get a job at that place, but they could refer me to someone who they knew was hiring or had a Yeah. So it wouldn't be hard because of the network that I have. I can understand the idea of that being a bit of a, a little bit of a red flag, but at the same time, I don't know, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of introverts in our profession. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's easy to sit in a place and be there for 10 years and not grow a network and have to be in that situation. So it doesn't mean you're not good, but just maybe you're not super social. Well, you know, part of the reason, I mean, I think about it from time to time, obviously more in a hiring process we're in, I think about it, but we actually just, we had a young woman come in for an interview from my last office. Mm. And I went, I go, I don't want them to think that I'm reaching out, trying to steal their employees. <laughs> trying to yeah, steal people. I'm yeah. not that person. I mean, I don't like when people call and try to steal my employees. Mm-hmm. And so as a, I think a show of humanity and decency, I don't do that either. I don't reach out to people and say, you know, you ought to really think about coming here because we're so much better than there. I'm not about that. Yeah. And so I, I brought this question up for the group. I was like, hey, this person who's coming over from my last office, they're like, what do you think of her? And I go, well, she's amazing. Like, she's really, really smart. She's a good person. But I asked, I brought it up. I go, eh, I'm a little worried about this. And they're like, well, we got it. She found us through a recruiter. And I went, really? Not like, oh, she didn't come here because of me. I mean, I, that's not where my head went. But just that that's how she ended up in that way. It was the recruiting aspect to it. Yeah. I went, yeah. well, I want to talk about this then because that's always been a bit of a red flag to me. And they're like, well, we, we talked about it. And they reached out and recruited her. And they're the ones that brought her here. She wasn't actually actively looking for a job. Mm-hmm. And that's what started the process. I mean, that's your company engaged with the recruiter, or the recruiter engaging your company and blah, blah, which to me, that whole thing has always been weird to me, but it's a thing. It's an industry. It happens. It's so, it's, oh my God. The recruiting stuff. It's, but it's really bizarre to me. It's so aggressive. I know a couple of people that do it, but I, I don't know. It's strange. Well, I bet on average, I get at least one recruiting type email every single day Oh, of somebody saying, are you looking for, I got a great candidate for you. I mean, right now, since the economy's paying, I get tons of them yeah. still. I just delete them, honestly. Yeah, oh yeah, me but too. We, well, me too, because I don't need them, but it's <laughs> funny. I get. I think I had three today. Well, we had to send out emails firm-wide to say, look, if you get these, if you don't know what to do, your response is forward <laughs> it to HR because HR, there's contracts you got to put in place part of these recruiters, mm-hmm. they're trying to take advantage of the fact that you may not know that there needs to be a contract in place. And uh, yeah, Hey, I get whatever their salary is, I get 30%. Like that's my fee for bringing them to you. As a fee. And we're like, well, we're not going to pay you that. So we're not going to work with you. So hasta la vista, baby. Yeah. So that's something that we have to go through. I just wanted to ask that question and see what your thoughts on it were. It's weird. <laughs> it is weird. Okay, here's something else I think is really important. This falls into the, this is just not that hard. This seems to me like the lowest hanging fruit possible. And that is, when you walk in, there are some questions you should be prepared to answer. You should just know these are a couple questions that are coming for you. And likewise, you need to be in a position to ask some questions. Because if you don't ask questions, I kind of go, you realize that you are kind of interviewing me as much as I'm interviewing you. At the same time, yeah. Which is part of why I made that comment earlier about not everybody's great at selling the idea of who we are and what we do. They're just like, here's the information. Mm-hmm. Next. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and so yeah. when I'm interviewing someone, I'm also pitching why it would be great to come work for us. Mm-hmm. And so there are questions that if you don't ask or if you don't have the ability to have like a cogent, reasonable I've thought about this before sort of answer, red flag. Yeah. Right. So I actually wrote some of these down and there are like the kind of questions I would ask somebody is like, why do you want to work here? As opposed to, I just want a job. Mm -hmm. Not that you just wanting a job is not a reasonable answer, 
But if I got two people and they both obviously want jobs or they wouldn't be talking to me in the first place. And one person's reason for talking to me is they want a job. And the other one is because I think you do amazing stuff or you do cool work or you do something that I want to be a part of. Guess who's going to get the job offer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the person who's like, I got bills to pay, man. Well, I want to move to Dallas and I saw that you guys were hiring. And so I thought, well, why not? Yeah. I couldn't hurt. Yeah. That's not a good answer. No. You should be prepared to answer that question. Yeah. But even if that's the truth, right? You should look up some stuff yeah. about the firm, find something to hang your head that's on right. and say, do better. Or if they have experience, you should be prepared to answer the question, why are you leaving your current firm? Mm-hmm. Right. Because if you go, I hated the fact that they had mixed genders in the office. I want to work for an office of just this gender. I'm like, well, okay, well, that's not us either. We need to know. That's a reasonable question. Like, why did you leave? Yeah. And even if the answer is a very generic, I'm looking for new opportunities. Or they did this type of project and I want to work on that type of project. Again, not hard questions to answer, but you should have an answer for them. Mm -hmm. Or at least expect that that question's coming. Another example of a good question is, what do you think your best skill is? That's really because it has to do with, like, what do you want to do? Because my goal in hiring you is to put you in a position to succeed. Because if you're happy doing what you're doing and you're doing what you want to do, you're going to be doing your best work doing that. And that benefits me. So I want to put you in a position to do what you want to do and be successful. So being able to tell me what it is you actually want to do, reasonable question. Yeah. I mean, most of the time. I would say it's a little bit harder when you're... When this is your first job, you're right out of school, you haven't done anything. It's a little bit harder to answer that question. You should still have some kind of answer that may be more aligned of like what you're interested in as far as what you think architecture is. Okay, that's a reasonable response. But but I, I, like you should also have something. You should have something. So like today, the people we interviewed today, they were in their late 20s or one of them had just turned 30 and mm-hmm. they were outstanding candidates. So they'd actually been working for a while. There were some people that had worked between the end of the four and the start of the two. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, I go, how do you imagine yourself here? Do you see yourself as a designer? Is that something you, you have interest in? Because not everybody comes out of school thinking they want to design. A lot of them think, I like it, but it, it doesn't move the needle as much to me as for other people. I go, do you want to be a project architect? Do you want to learn how to do the drawings, assemble a, a set of documents, like tell people how to keep water out of the building? Is that the kind of thing that you're interested in? A lot of people say yes. They have an idea. I either think I want to do this or I think I want to do that, but there's some vector to it. There's some, I want to go in this direction with some enthusiasm. That is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, it's less uncommon that somebody doesn't know the answer to that question if they've already worked for a while. Yeah. So we'll talk about the different career paths that you can take in our office for sure. But that's not an unreasonable question for someone to say, what do you imagine you're like, what do you want to do? What do you like doing? You might have the wrong answer, but it'll be a considered answer. That's what we want. Yes. Okay. What are your expectations? Like, what are your goals for working here? And it's got to be more than I want a job. Again, it's not a hard question. It sounds like a hard question, but it's not. I want to be surrounded by people who are interested in doing what I'm interested in doing. I want to come to work and have a good time and make friends and do something I'm proud. I mean, look, I'm coming up with this off the top of my head. And those are not unreasonable answers. Yeah. I also think the one thing I think, though, about this that is really important when you start doing this is not to have like a really scripted answer either, though. I ask you that question. I don't want you to answer me in in this sort of monotone, like I've said the same thing 15 times. I I wrote a script and I'm reading it off my note cards because that doesn't sound great either. I think you should have an idea about these things, but not necessarily a fully scripted response, because that's almost as bad as no answer <laughs> in my opinion yeah if you're just like well i really want to do if they this, say uh, it like a dead robot yeah that's terrible for other reasons but having an answer to that question look i've done how many interviews i said i did three today six last week it's been 40 something since the start of the year you don't think i'm saying the same stuff to all of those people i'm sure yeah and i don't go in there and go tell me Abba. i mean this is true gotta bring a little something to the mix I don't need you to script it, but I need you to kind of have an understanding of if I go, what are your goals? What are your expectations? If somebody goes to have a kick-ass time, I'm in. And that worked, <laughs> that, right? That's yeah. an answer and I'll take it. Yeah. That they're like, well, I don't really know yet because I don't really, you know, I, no, not, give me something. Give me something. 
Okay. Here's another question that everybody had the answer to today. And it is, do you have a salary expectation? Yes. It's funny about that question is it's super easy to figure out that answer today. The internet makes that not a hard thing to figure out. Yeah. For your area, what's kind of typical for someone with your amount of experience? Not hard. Here's the median. You go, well, here's the median. I'd like to do a little better than that if possible. Okay, great. If somebody goes, you know, whatever you think is right, kind of the going rate. Come on. That's not a good answer. Have a number. Interesting. Yeah. I typically, I never really ask what people were expecting to make. I do. Because if somebody goes, I want to make $100 billion, I'm going to go, this isn't going to work out. Right? I'll just tell you that right now. Yeah. I can't afford you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. But if somebody tells me an answer, I go, what, you're right out of school and you want to make $65,000, whatever. And I go, okay, I can work with that. Like, there's something here we can have a conversation about. Yeah. If you go, I want to make 165, I go, all right, thanks for coming in. Appreciate your time. Yeah. We can just wrap this up. I can't afford you. True. And it's pretty straightforward. The other part to that that we kind of started was you need to come in with questions as well. Yeah, I think always. Yeah. Because again, I honestly believe that it's kind of the idea that in my mind, not only is it a major strike against you if you don't have questions, but it has to do with why you're not asking questions. And I go, well, you either don't have options. So like, well, you're here because you'll take anything at this point, uh-huh. right? So that's why you're not asking questions. You don't care as long as you get the job or you're not prepared to be in the room right now. Mm-hmm. Especially now that, I mean, it was different. When I went on my first interviews, I was looking in the yellow pages or the white pages and I'd call people on the phone. That's just kind of how that process was. Now you want to know a little bit of something about Bugapal Architects? Pretty easy to figure out. You can go online and find out what awards we've won, how big we are, where our offices are located. I live in Dallas now, but they got a Denver office, and I might like to transfer to that office in a couple of years. Great. You know something. Yeah. I mean, especially even if they know that your interview is with you, well, then they can look you up. They can look me up. On the website, on the Boca Pow website. Yeah. I think it's important to have questions about even one of my favorites, if you just ask me, well, what am I going to be doing? Mm-hmm. What's my day like when I'm here? I mean, that's an easy question to just put in your pocket and ask everywhere you go. So what's my daily life going to be like when I start here? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question for you to ask. How many hours a week should I be expected to work? Ask that one. Any of those kind of things that just what projects might I be working on or what is my role going to be in the beginning and how how long would I expect to stay in the first role? Any of that kind of stuff that's generic and not even, again, based on Boca Pal or whatever you're interviewing, but just an idea about what it's like to work at that place. Yeah. We had a guy, and at some point during every interview, I go, do you have any questions for me? And I've already told him about all the cool things we do. And I mean, I've given him the pitch because all our interviews are an hour long. That's how much time you get. That's a long time. That's a long time. And for the most part, I don't really have a hard time filling that hour. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Mm, Whatever. Well, it depends. I don't either. I'm not, I'm not saying I, think I can fill it out real quick. Well, it has to do with, like, if they're good candidates, the, you know, the ones that don't go an hour, it's because we're like, okay, there's really not a lot here. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a lot to work with. If you're good and capable and interesting and engaging, yeah, I mean, I've blocked out an hour for this. If I get done in 30 minutes, then great. I have 30 minutes to go back to my desk and do something else I got to do. But you've got the hour, so we can use it. But I had a guy who came in for an interview. And when I said, do you have any questions for me? He goes, yeah, I have a couple. He pulled out his phone and pulled up like notes. He goes, I put them, I wrote them down here so I wouldn't forget them. And I was like, I love that. (laughs) There's no points off. Yeah. I didn't expect him to remember them. It's kind of a stressful environment. He's there thinking I've got to perform. Sure. And if he's thinking, hey, I want to write this stuff down, then great. That's part of the preparation that he needs to go through. More power to you. No points off for that for me. No, oh, yeah. I mean, actually, that's a point plus for me that you, that you had the wherewithal to say, well, I'm not going to remember it, so I'm going to write it down because I really want to ask this, but I'm not going to straight up interrupt you while you're talking. So I'm all for people asking questions. You know, part of it is, like, there's a couple really good questions. You know, like, what will my role be? What do you think my day will look like? What kind of projects might I work on? It's important for me to get licensed. What sort of things can you do to help me achieve that? Mm-hmm. 
and allows me to talk about why we're great. You know why? We provide all the study materials free of charge. If you pass the test, we'll pay for it. We give you time off from work to go take the test. It gives me a time to talk up why I think we're great. These are good questions. One of the things that I think is kind of interesting is you can also go, imagine I'm being interviewed by you, Andrew. And I go, Andrew, what is your day like? Mm-hmm. What do you like about working at your job? Mm-hmm. I go, oh, ooh, like I should be prepared to answer those questions too. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of questions you can ask to try to figure out not only what the firm is like from a, how do they work? What kind of projects do they take on? But who are they as a culture? How do they support? Like, do they help you make friends? <laughs> we do. Yeah. I mean, we have programs. We have a hundred people. We have activities for the sole purpose of helping make sure that you know everybody in the office. Mm-hmm. We have clubs basically in the office to get you out from doing the same thing. If you're that person that goes, well, I'm working on this project for the next year. Well, we have things to allow you to step outside of that bucket of responsibility and explore something else for a couple hours a week. Yeah. Like we do that. So anyway. Okay. Have we missed anything? Those are kind of my big bullet points. If somebody's coming in for an interview, those are the things like, what do you bring in? How do you communicate? What's the takeaway? What do you want people to know? You should ask questions. These are the things that matter. One of my big tips is, I know it's hard sometimes, but just try not to be super nervous. Try to be relaxed and be casual and be yourself is the bigger part. I think it's really important to try to convey your true self. Don't go in acting one way because if you act that way, you might get stuck trying to act that way. You're going to get yourself in trouble. Right. Go in and be in yourself and yes, be attentive and respectful and responsible and all that kind of stuff, which hopefully you are anyway, but don't put off an impression of something that you're not because that's not going to get you a job that you want to have Yeah, in reality, I think is what the big issue is. If you go in acting, act a certain way because I want to be a designer, but that's not really how you act. Well, don't do that because you're going to give the wrong impression and then the whole thing is just shot from the start. Yes. Well, I also think that goes back to the very beginning of the conversation when I was like, well, we should be keeping track of people's track records as the interviewer. Yeah. And I go, I feel like that's my job to put you at ease. It's possible. Yeah. Possible. I mean, especially right out of school. I mean, I I can't count the number of people that come in. They're just so nervous. I mean, I've had both young men and young women whose voices start shaking and get all creaky when you're asking. I'm like, no. hey, just take a beat, take a breath. It's fine. Nothing you say in here is going to kill anybody. So just relax. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter, right? So you just try to be relaxed. That would be my last piece of advice is, be relaxed and be yourself. Yeah, that, that's solid advice. So there it is. I'm going to say interviews just aren't that hard. These are the biggies. Mm-hmm. There's some nuance within all these that obviously one hour of us chatting is not going to cover. But sure, I think that if you internalize the things that we talked about, I think you have a greater chance of finding success of when you go in to try to get a job with somebody. Like, you know how to prepare for it. You know what you should bring. You should know what to expect is going to happen. You should know how to prepare, turn the tables. Let me ask you some questions. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of it. So, to that end, it's time to wrap the show up, which means we have, we're going to do a this and that question today. All right. All right. Sticking with the new segment. Well, technically, we... New is always better. <laughs> Well, remember, the last episode was Corey. We ranked cookies. Oh, that's right. So we skipped one over. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's not back to back, this and that. So yeah, we skipped right. one. So, Sorry. So we're going to do a this and that this time. You're right. You know, again, food ones are just, they're really easy to do. So I've made an effort to not do a food one, specifically just because it was, we didn't, I don't want to do a food one. I got you. So maybe I should say after a one episode break, we are back with a this and that as our question for the episode. And in case you missed the explanation of the premise, this and that requires you to accept both things presented in the question. And typically one of them is awesome. And the other is not that awesome. Not so awesome. It gives you pause, but you have to accept both of them to get the good one. You got to take the other one as well. Sure. So the premise originally was, you're tall and have bad breath. Personally, I would not take that one because I'm already tall. <laughs> so I don't need to worry about it. We would have had discussions about defining tall, but sure. I think one qualifies me as tall. All right. Yeah. Okay. Could I be taller? Of course. 
but I'm above average. How about that? Interesting. Okay, so this week's This and That is you get to live in your dream house. I mean, that could be a cabin in the woods. It could be a beach house on the water. Whatever is your dream house. For free, meaning it's yours. But you have no access to hot water at all. <laughs> so to accept, to accept your dream house and no hot water ever. Yeah, that changes a little bit from what we talked about beforehand. Just a smidge, just a smidge. Of course it does. Okay, so no access to hot water. Okay, so the loophole is I can boil water, I'm assuming. If I want hot water, you could. I can boil it. You could 19th century your yeah, way fine. into a hot bath. And that's fine. Yes. That's okay. Well, I'm thinking more about cleaning. I'm really worried about hot baths, so I'm thinking about like cleaning my stuff. But I'm assuming even in that, my washing machine and my dishwasher have like a added heat option and it'll heat the water before it does it. So I don't really care. So it really just comes down to it's cold stuff, cold showers, cold cleansing, whatever. I mean, you don't have a, you don't have a water heater in your house. You don't have hot water to wash your clothes. Well, but yeah, but my dishwasher and my washing machine right now has like a added heat setting. It heats the water in the unit. I don't know. There is a magic shroud over your house that allows no hot water in. Oh, so none? There's no, that's what it says. No access to hot water. Everything is like you have to make it yourself. Okay. Like if you want to boil it and pour it in a bucket and then wash your dishes, I will allow that. Okay. But the appliance can't have a built-in heater. Nope. Okay. There's no convenience to this. That's part of the, that's the consideration. There's no loopholes. You get dream house and the inconvenience of no. My dream house actually has hot water though. So. Not this one. It has superheated appliances. Mm -mm. Okay. Yeah. I still think I'm okay. I think I'd take the deal. You would take the deal. Yeah. Because I think, again, my dream house is probably, I mean, I got a lot of dream house scenarios, but in this one, I would say it's, it's on the beach somewhere near the equator. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to worry about cold showers or something like that because it'll be warm and I'll be fine. If I have to boil water to wash dishes, it's fine. It's fine. Especially if it's just me, it's not that difficult to do that once a week or something to make that happen. And cold showers are fine. We already know that you're eating hot dogs. You're eating nothing but hot dogs in your dream house. No, that is not what in my dream house. No, like no how no. do you make? You can't make them. You can't make your hot dogs because there's you'd have to boil. I guess that's just regular. You'd have to boil. I mean, like that's how you make hot dogs anyway. You boil water. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but I'm wondering if it says no access to hot water at all. At all. That's not true. That can't be. I mean, I can be able to <laughs> boil some stuff. Like, come on. Because mm. if not, then I can't even cook food. You just can't have soup. Well, there's a lot of other things or, that you have to buy. Or noodles. Or, or pasta. Or any, yeah, come on. Yeah. Now, come on. You can't have it. No. You're out. No. You're like, I got to have noodles. No, I'm just saying that's, that's not realistic at all to say I can't even boil water. Okay. All right. So when we talked about it before, it was going to be no hot showers. Yeah. You can't clean yourself with any kind of heated water. Warm water. Sure. Yeah. You can't like hijack it in any way. You're taking cold showers 100% of the time. And that's fine. I'd adjust. It wouldn't really bother me. And you're like, no problems. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. You went at it with the same enthusiasm of quadruple salary and hot, hot dogs. dogs. Sure. You're like, yeah. in. I'm, I'm in. in. I'm in. Yeah, for sure. I can make that work. Well, because you're also, you're not doing cabin in the woods. You're doing beach, beach house. Yeah. Cabin in the woods, that doesn't work. Yeah. It, it's a lot harder. Anywhere else, it doesn't really work. I mean, even sort of temperate climates where there, there's seasons, that doesn't work. Even if I lived, if my dream house was next door to me right now, <laughs> no. Couldn't make that work. Yeah, no, because it gets cold enough here. I want to take a shower. If I'm somewhere where the average temperature rarely drops below 80, I'm fine with a cold shower or cold everything. I think I could make it work as long as I can choose the location of said dream house. I think I need a hot shower. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's to say that, like, my dream house is not crazy to begin with. Mine neither, yeah. Right, so I kind of go, part of my daily existence so, I mean, I take a shower every day mm -hmm. and I like hot showers. <laughs> I do too. I like thinking in the shower. I like just standing and zoning out in the shower. I don't disagree. If I lose that, man, that's like one of the two or three things I count on every day that are just kind of a good thing. <laughs> hot showers are a good thing. Yeah. So I'm a no. I'm out. Interesting. I'm not willing to trade dream house. Well, to sacrifice that. For hot water. Yeah. Mm. Not willing to do that. I think I can make it work. Here's the other thing. This is another loophole. You get to tell me. 
You're all about the loophole. The house may not have it, but if I'm not having to pay for the house, well, then I could go somewhere else and pay for a hot shower. You could. Absolutely. So if you want to go somewhere else and take a hot shower, but you can't take one in your house. Yeah, which is fine. If I have to go once a week and rent a hotel room so I can just. Once a week? Gross. No, I'm taking showers more than that. I'm just saying a hot one once a week. Mm. Even if it's cold, I'd still take one every day. I mean, there are times in the summer where I take cold showers. Like, I don't take hot showers in the summer sometimes. It's too much. Too much. Mm. So. And sitting in a hot tub, that doesn't count either. You can't do that. That's not. <laughs> no baths. No getting in hot water. There's no hot water. <laughs> you can't immerse yourself in any form of hot water. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to put. You just keep making up all this crazy stuff. I'm going to put some Dawn yeah, detergent know, Dawn inside my, my hot tub. tub. <laughs> and me and my dishes and my clothes. We're all going to jump yeah, in. Yeah, I'm just going to put everything in the hot tub. Yeah, can't do it. I can't do it. That's not my plan. Okay. All right. I'm going to say that's a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 123. Interviews just aren't that hard. We would like to thank our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? We're available on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button and you'll get notified every two weeks when we publish a dynamite new episode. And while you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five-star, how do you like my Converse shoes during the interview rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this super rad episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your voice and join the conversation. Super rad, huh? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going 80s today. Nice. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.